0: TODAY ON A DAILY WALK FROM PASTOR JOHN RANDALL. THE LORD
1: HAS NEED OF NOTHING. HE CREATED EVERYTHING. HE OWNS A CATTLE ON A THOUSAND HILLS. THE BIBLE SAYS ALL OF THE WORLD IS HIS. BUT THERE ARE TIMES WHEN GOD MAY WANT TO USE SOMETHING THAT HE HAS GIVEN TO ME AND SO HE MIGHT ASK FOR IT. THERE MAY BE A TIME WHEN GOD comes to you and says, I have need of this thing, and it is mine to respond and say, Lord, it's yours anyway. I release it to you. Lord, you use what ultimately you've given me for your glory. If you have need of it, that is all that I need to know. Some people might look on and question, why are you parting with that? Why are you letting that go? Because the Lord has need of it, and it's his ultimately.
0: It's time once again for a daily walk. We'll turn things over to Pastor John Randall in a second. Our study in the Gospel of Luke intensifies today as our Lord continues making His way to the cross. Today, Pastor John highlights the latter half of Luke 19. This, of course, is the section of Scripture detailing our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem in fulfillment of prophecy. Here's Pastor John Randall to tell us all about it.
1: Luke chapter 19, and we'll be picking up this morning in verse 28. And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Throughout his earthly ministry, there were occasions where Jesus referred to what he called his hour. When his ministry first began, Jesus was in the area of Cana of Galilee, attending a wedding feast. His mother informed him that they had run out of wine. Jesus responded to Mary, and he said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? For my hour has not yet come. In John's gospel, the seventh chapter, it is recorded that Jesus went up to Judea during the feast of tabernacles and he went into the temple and he began to preach and Jesus was confronted by the Jews. And it says that they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Again, in John's gospel, the eighth chapter, Jesus was teaching in the temple and he was saying that he was the light of the world and that anyone who would follow him would not walk in darkness. Again, the people sought to lay hands on him, but it says they could not for his hour had not yet come. Then you come to the 12th chapter of the gospel of John. And it says that Jesus made this statement to his disciples. The hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus was living according to a divine timetable. He was living for a specific moment, a day that would come, an hour that would arrive where he would die a substitutionary death upon the cross for the sins of the world. Over the last nine months of his ministry, Jesus and his disciples had visited at least 35 different areas around Jerusalem, succinctly timing their journey to arrive in the city during the Passover During Passover, the city of Jerusalem would be overpopulated with Jewish pilgrims traveling from every direction. It was during this season that the Roman government would take a census concerning the people. However, they would not calculate the number of people, but rather they would calculate the number of sheep that were offered during the celebration. A historian of Jesus' day named Josephus tells us that no fewer than 10 people could have a single lamb offered at Passover. And it was estimated that 256,000 lambs were offered up this year. And that would estimate around 2.5 million people in the city of Jerusalem at that time. And due to the increase of the crowds, the Roman soldiers would increase their numbers by 10 over their normal amount, just in case there was any rioting or insurrection. The Passover celebration held great significance for the Jewish people, for it dated all the way back to the time when the nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt and were slaves. You remember in the book of Exodus, it is recorded that God raised up Moses to be a deliverer in order to free Israel from their captivity, and God struck the Egyptians with 10 devastating plagues. The final plague that came upon the Egyptians was the death of their firstborn. And the only way that Israel could escape that final judgment of God is they had to take a lamb and they had to kill the lamb and they had to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the outside of their door, both horizontally as well as vertically. And the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And it was from that time forward that they celebrated the Passover even to the present time. But here we find on this particular Passover an even greater significance for 33 years of his life, Jesus had made his way up to Jerusalem and participated in this celebration, but this would be his final Passover. And on this particular Passover, Jesus would be the lamb of God that was offered up for the sins of the world as he would die upon the cross so that death would pass over us and the judgment of God would not come upon us. As Jesus enters into his final week of ministry here in Luke chapter 19, it begins with a triumphal entry into Jerusalem and it ends at the end of the week on Good Friday with his crucifixion outside of the city. Now, keep in mind, up to this point, Jesus had accepted the status of Messiah only by implication. He had avoided any public demonstration, but now, now the hour had come, the moment had arrived to present himself to the people. And so Jesus enters into the city in what is called his triumphal entry. Now, before he entered into the city, he had made preparation for his arrival. That is, we read a moment ago, he sent two of his disciples to go into the city and to find a donkey, a colt specifically, tied there. And they were to bring that donkey back to him so that he could ride in to the city. It's interesting when Jesus gave this command unto his disciples, it seems that they were a little apprehensive. And they're wondering, well, what happens if we go and take this donkey and they ask us, Why are you taking it? You just want us to go up and take somebody's donkey? Jesus said, listen, when you go there and you are asked, why is this donkey being taken? All you have to say is the Lord has need of it. That's all. Two things I want to point out to you in this. First of all, the disciples were given instructions. They were given a command that probably didn't make sense to them when they received it. Yet they were called to be obedient to what Jesus had asked them to do. I've discovered that there are things that I have been called to do by the Lord from time to time that have not always made sense to me, nor did they make sense to the people observing me. But yet I knew that it was a command from the Lord. I knew that God had called me specifically to carry out this very thing. And thus I wanted to go in obedience to the command of the Lord. Also, I've come to realize that the Lord has need of nothing. He created everything. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says all of the world is his. But there are times when God may want to use something that he has given to me. And so he might ask for it. Just like he did this man. I want to use that donkey. Well, why are you taking it? Because I have need of it. There may be a time when God comes to you and says, I have need of this thing. And it is mine to respond and say, Lord, it's yours anyway. I release it to you. Lord, you use what ultimately you've given me for your glory. If you have need of it, that is all that I need to know. Some people might look on and question, why are you parting with that? Why are you letting that go? Because the Lord has need of it. And it's his ultimately. The response was simple. For the disciples, it was a response of obedience as they went on this errand that they were sent by Jesus. And the response of the man who had the donkey was the same. The Lord has need of it. And so he released it for the purposes of the Lord. I also find in verse 32, it says that when those who were sent went their way, I have this underlined, it says, and they found it just as he said to them. And this implies to me that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Aren't you glad that the Lord knows what he's doing with your life? Aren't you glad this morning that God has a plan even when you don't That there are things that you walk in and things that you enter into and you don't exactly know what's gonna come as a result of this and yet the Lord does. And as these disciples and as we ourselves walk in obedience to the will of God, do you know what we will find? We will find that it is just like Jesus said. When you walk in obedience to the word of God and the commands of God, there is great blessing attached to it. You will find it just like the Lord said. You will find as you walk in obedience that God will provide for you. You'll find that God will be faithful to you. You'll find that it is just like he said. God keeps his promises. God keeps his word and he has a plan. And so these disciples went and they bring back this donkey to the Lord. And when they bring it back, notice what they do in verse 35, they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Jesus sits upon this colt that had never been ridden and the disciples begin to take off their outer garments and they place them on the colt, but they also lay them across the road for Jesus to walk on. Why did they do this? This was a symbolic act of saying, all that we have is yours. It was an outward demonstration that they were declaring, we're submitted to your lordship in our lives. You're the king walk over this, take hold of that. It was, it was a demonstration that, that they were saying, you're the king. It happened in the Old Testament before as well. You can read about it in Second Kings, but here they, they also carry this out and they were saying, Lord, you're the king. I think this is important for us to realize as well. Lord, all that I am, everything that makes up who I am, I lay it aside Lord, whatever makes up my agenda, my plans, my purposes, Lord, you're the king. You you just do in my life what you want to do. I submit to the Lord. Maybe as you're approaching a new year, you've already made your resolutions that maybe you didn't fulfill last year. And this is the year, man. It's going to happen. Just watch. You'll see. You know, I'm going to lose this or gain that or find this or whatever it is you're looking for. But I want to encourage you. Take the outer garments of your agenda and your plans and your purposes and submit them to the king and say, Lord, have your way in my life. And you will find that God's plans for you are far better than anything that you could come up with on your own. And so they submit to the king. Now, as he begins to ride in on this donkey, imagine if you would, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, why a donkey? Why not a chariot? Why not a a noble steed, a great white horse, something impressive? A donkey isn't very intimidating when you think about it. You would never take a donkey into war. You would die. You would want to take a horse, a war horse, if you're a king. The reason why Jesus rode upon a donkey, I believe, is twofold. First of all, when kings would come in peace, they would ride upon donkeys. And Jesus, in his first coming... He came not to make war, but to make peace. And he comes into the city riding on this beast of burden, symbolically representing the king of peace. Oh, but the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes a second time, he doesn't come riding on a lowly donkey, does he? He comes riding on a great white horse and he comes to make war and a sharp sword proceeds out of his mouth. And with it, he strikes the nations, a much different picture in his second coming. But in his first coming, he comes and he came to make peace. But not only did Jesus ride upon this donkey as a symbolic act of peace, but also he was fulfilling prophecy upon his entrance into the city. In the gospel, according to Matthew, Matthew tells us that Jesus entered the city in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. And it reads this way, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming and he is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah had written those words 500 years before Jesus ever rode into the city of Jerusalem. And here we have before us one of over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled within his lifetime. The word prophecy, meaning words that were predicted of things that would take place long before they ever occurred, hundreds and hundreds of years before they ever occurred. Now, some might say, well, what is the significance of that? What is the great wonder of fulfilled prophecy? Fulfilled prophecy is something that sets the Bible, the word of God, apart from every other religious book. And it also sets Jesus apart from every other self-proclaimed leader. There are 26 other religious books that people of faith believe are divinely inspired. But of these 26 books, none of them, except for the word of God, the Bible, contains any specific fulfilled prophecy. The Bible, however, is filled with hundreds of specific detailed prophecies that were written hundreds of years before their fulfillment. In fact, there is an amazing 27% of the Bible. That's one out of every four verses that contain specific predictive prophecy at the time in which they were written. Now, the skeptic may rise up and say, well, perhaps Jesus was the Messiah, but, but he accidentally or deliberately fulfilled these prophecies that we read of in scripture. It is difficult to imagine any person deliberately setting out to fulfill prophecies that would result in a short life and an excruciating, drawn-out, painful death upon a cross. Furthermore, how does one man deliberately choose the lineage in which he is to be born into? Or the time period in which he is to be born into. Or the city in which he is born into. Or the way in which he would die before it was ever created. It was predicted. Or the number of pieces of silver that he would be betrayed for. And on and on and on it goes. It is no accident. It is divine. The Bible that you hold within your hands is indeed the word of God not just containing the word of God, it is the word of God. A man by the name of Peter Stoner, he was a mathematician at Westmont College, wrote a book entitled Science Speaks in 1963, and he gave the mathematical probability of one man setting out to fulfill eight prophecies in his lifetime, just eight. What would be the chances of that? He said it was one in 10 to the 17th power. Just eight prophecies being fulfilled. Jesus, in his lifetime, fulfilled over 300. You could do the math if you dare. This prophecy before us was written 500 years before Jesus ever went in to Jerusalem. But not only did Zechariah prophesy concerning Jesus riding in on a donkey, the colt specifically, of a donkey... But also Daniel was given this prophetic word as well in a prophecy entitled the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel was told by the angel of the Lord that when the command was given to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince would arrive, there would be 483 years that would go by. In other words, whenever the command was given to rebuild and restore the walls of Jerusalem, you should be able to calculate 483 years or 173,880 days from that time. And Messiah, the Prince should arrive. When was that command given? The command was given in the old Testament book of Nehemiah chapter two. As Nehemiah was dwelling there in Shushan, the citadel, serving there as the nation had been in captivity in Babylon, he had a desire to go back and rebuild the walls that had been destroyed. And so the king gave the command and gave Nehemiah the permission, it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, to rebuild in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. In modern language, that would be March 28th, 445, BC historians have calculated that 483 years later 173,880 days later would be April 6, 32 AD the time of Passover that that was the very day that Jesus came riding in on a donkey in his triumphal entry fulfilling to the very day the prophetic word spoken by Zechariah and given to Daniel Jesus wasn't just taking a tour of Jerusalem, friend. He was fulfilling biblical prophecy. Preparation had been made for his arrival. Prophecy was being fulfilled in his arrival. But also, we discover that praise was being offered up upon his arrival. It says in verse 36, And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road, then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works they had seen. And they said, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In the midst of the celebration, there was great proclamation of praise. Matthew's gospel tells us that the people took up palm branches And they began to wave them back and forth. Mark's gospel tells us that the people were declaring, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As Jesus was riding down the Mount of Olives, about to make his way up to Jerusalem, the people were singing the messianic psalm, Psalm 118. And they were attributing that psalm to Jesus. They were recognizing him and declaring him to be the Messiah. They were saying, Hosanna.
0: Offering hope and encouragement for your daily walk, that is Pastor John Randall. And this is A Daily Walk. We're going through the Bible right now. You can order a CD copy of this message by calling 877-242-0828. You can also listen to our recent programs on our website at adailywalk.org. We also offer John's teachings by podcast, and we have an app, too. To get our app, Do a search for Calvary South OC. I should also mention John is on Twitter and Instagram. You can start following him on Twitter at PJRandall7 and on Instagram at John P. Randall. With all that's been going on in the Middle East and Israel, many are inquiring about end times Bible prophecy. And we want to get a good book into your hands on this subject from our friend, Barry Stagner. It's The Time of the Signs, a chronology of Earth's final events. When the disciples asked Jesus how to anticipate his return, he gave them an incredible answer that we stand to benefit from. They ask him about the signs of his coming and the end times. What should they expect to take place? In The Time of the Signs, Barry Stagner explores the events that will precede Jesus' return. We'll send it to you for the special price of $12. Call us at 877 877- 877 Two four two zero eight two eight, or go online to adailywalk.org Thank you for your prayerful and financial support of A Daily Walk. It really is having an impact. With your help we're able to reach thousands with the truth and love of Christ at a time they really need to hear it. If you'd like to donate to the ministry please go to adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828 and you know, we are very grateful to the Lord when we hear back from our listeners. Write to Pastor John today by email at a at gmail.com. He loves to read listener letters and emails. Let him know what's going on in your life and how we can pray for you at a at gmail.com. Maybe you're one of our new listeners. Let us know what you think of a daily walk when you write to us at a at gmail.com. And now let's peek ahead to our next study in Luke. Have you set up any tables in the temple that ought not to be there?
1: Things that are hindering ministry in your life, ministry through your life. Maybe a couple years ago you got rid of it, you did away with it, but now you've brought it back in and there it is set up in the temple where the Lord desires to dwell. And this morning by the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus wants to make his way into your heart in a triumphal entry and as he makes his way into your heart, into your life, he wants to turn these things over and he wants to drive these things out. But I'll tell you a good place to start, make a commitment to Jesus and say, Lord, have your way in this life.
0: Again, that's coming up tomorrow on A Daily Walk when Pastor John Randall will return to Luke 19. is a presentation of Calvary South O.C.,